It's episode 12 of Mosin at Large. I'm Jonathan Mosin. Today, fasten your safety belts. We're going to be talking about linguistic and grammatical pet peeves. There's a bit of tech in those as well, including the Icon Factory's new radio app, the new MacBook Pro, and what do you think of Disney Plus? To be in touch, Jonathan at MushroomFM.com is my email address. You can attach an audio clip or just write something down, and you can call the listener line on 864-60-MOSIN, that number in the United States, 864-606-6736. We don't want this show to be full of negative energy and complaining, but people do that, don't they? They have a little preamble like that, but then they go, however, or something. The other one where that's quite common is where people say, with all due respect, with the most possible amount of vitriol in their voice. And you know that after they've said to you, with all due respect, something insulting is coming at you. So, without trying to be too negative, I thought it would be fun. We talked about this briefly on the Smorgasbord a couple of weeks ago, and Brian Gaff suggested that we talk about it some more here on the Splosion, and it's a good idea. Linguistic pet peeves. Things that people say, or in some cases the way that they say them, that really aggravate you. And I suppose one has to say, who's got the problem here? Shouldn't it be live and let live and all that sort of stuff? And I suppose that's true to some extent. But English is such a beautiful language when it's spoken proper, <laughs> isn't it? And I think it does make a difference to how we are perceived. Henry Higgins thought so anyway, of course, the famous linguist in George Bernard Shaw, or if you're in America, Bernard Shaw's uh, play, uh, which later became My Fair Lady the movie. So I have a few pet linguistic peeves to start us off, and so do a couple of listeners already. The filler words that we get these days. And of course, the number one irritant has to be the constant use of the word like. Now, where on earth did this come from? I was like, totally, you sit on a bus or just overhear a group of young people at a table or something, and every second or third word is like. I'll tell you what I did to get my kids out of it is uh, I, I had a little jar and they had to put some money in the jar every time they did it. Oh, Dad! It soon got them cured of it, though. And it makes them sound much more adult and capable as a result. The other one... And I have to put my hand up here and say that every so often I do it, and I don't know what causes me to do it, is people who put so at the beginning of a sentence. Someone will ask you a question, and you'll begin a long answer with so, and I hate it every time I hear it, and yet recently I've heard myself doing it, and I think it might be a nervous thing on my part, you know, when you have a big new job to do and lots of new information to get on top of, and you say so at the beginning of a sentence, maybe it just buys you time. But when politicians do it, and politicians do it a lot, it's irritating. So at the beginning of the sentence. What's also peculiar for me is the way that people do it at the beginning of forum posts. I'm on a forum called Geek Zone here in New Zealand that actually has some quite useful information from time to time. And you see this on other blindness forums as well people set up a post in a forum usually with a technical problem or something and they say 
So I bought this thing the other day and off they go. But the word so is completely redundant. Why add it there? I mean, I understand it's hard to get rid of a verbal tick, but why put so at the beginning of a sentence when you're writing something down like that? What possible good does it serve? Okay, I'm on a roll. Next one. People who put K at the end of words that end in I-N-G. And uh, I think normally this is with words that end in the word thing. So you have something and everything. Where does that come from and why do people do it? Something. Our prime minister does this, by the way. She's a fine woman. I I think she's uh, doing a tremendous job, but she does say something. I think somebody's tried to pull her up on it because I hear her trying to not do it now. Thank goodness. It makes my skin crawl every time I hear it. Something. Now, the other one, uh, see, I've I've been making a little list. (laughs) The other one that really gets my goat is people who end an abbreviation with the last letter of the abbreviation. I know this one's a little bit obscure, so I'll try and illustrate. We have a tax which has been in place in New Zealand since the late 1980s called the Goods and Services Tax. And so people naturally abbreviate it to GST, like VAT in in the UK and in some other countries, value-added tax. And in New Zealand, some people started to call it GST tax, which is essentially saying goods and services tax tax. We have a bank in New Zealand called the ASB, and originally it stood for Auckland Savings Bank. They've long since gone national. And people started to call it ASB Bank. In other words, Auckland Savings Bank Bank. What? But what was even worse is the bank actually adopted that brand. So they now call themselves ASB Bank. Whoa, don't do it, all right? This is one called, I didn't know that there was a name for this. Now that I know there's a name for it, I am more conscious of it than ever. And um, I suppose that's a lesson to us all. If you name an an illness or, no, not so much an illness. If you name an idiosyncrasy or an affliction or something, you become more aware of it. This thing is called vocal fry. I can't even do it properly. Vocal fry is where people lower the pitch of their voice at the end of a sentence. And they do it in a way that causes their voice to croak. Oh, my word. It's called vocal fry. And women are particularly susceptible to it. This is another one that our prime minister does. Oh, I don't know how you cure it. I don't know... (laughs) But really annoys me. But there's a there's a contrast to this, and this is see I should be on the feedback program on Radio Four. There's a contrast, and this is people who raise their voice the the pitch at the end of a sentence. I was walking down the street the other day, and I saw this guy, and he, <laughs> oh, I don't know what that's called. I don't know whether there's a name for that or not. But that's another one that. Uh, Gets me going. So we are looking for your linguistic pet peeves. Now, Peggy Kern and Dan and Sweetie are tuned in, and she already has some. She says, um, the biggest one is hot water heater. 
Why would you need to heat hot water? It should be water heater. Yep, I'll give you that one, Peggy Kern. But she's on a roll. She says, I also don't like irregardless. I never heard that one until George W. used it. There's so many good Bushisms, aren't there? Irregardless, I used to say that until someone pointed out uh, that uh, uh, that IR means not. So it should be just regardless. I'll tell you another one I hear in America, Peggy, that's uh, kind of a bit like that. I don't know why this reminded me of that, is accessory. Yeah, accessory, where people don't say accessory. They think the whole thing is soft. Brian Gaff... He's also in touch on this matter with a number of things. He says that he doesn't like the gangsters, the sort of rap speak that is creeping into British speech. And he says, you know, it's, it's more than just calling people bro or whatever. He says also some people are using W's for R's, like January. Although, Brian, that's quite an upper class behavior traditionally in uh, British idiom, isn't it? Because you remember our Frank Muir. Frank Muir used to do it. I've heard several sort of upper class types doing the W for R thing, and of course they they mimic it in Monty Python, don't they? In the in the life of Brian, I will free Weatherwick. So I don't know how new that is. He also points out that the mispronunciation of certain words irritate him in singing, like for example. Don McLean says February in American Pie. February made me shiver. That That is a pretty common mispronunciation as well. Febu- February. I can't even pronounce it incorrectly. Fe- February instead of February. Jonathan Mosen, Mosen at Large Podcast. Here's Joy Tilton. A new linguistic peeve that someone mentioned earlier on another forum, is when more and more people, mainly women in the States, when they say words beginning with S-T-R, they put an S-H sound in the word. We had a prime minister who stuck around for eight years, and he did this. He used to talk about Australia all the time. Australia. A, A number of people do this. Where's that come from? I agree with you, Joy. That one is an irritant as well. That is a very weird one. May says, do you ever get people saying yes with a question mark at the end of every sentence? For instance, are you coming to my house? Yes. That's a that's an old one. Oh, no. Bonnie has made an unscheduled, as the Americans would say, Appearance. arrival in the studio. Talk about linguistics. I thought so. I thought so. All right, what you got, Bunny? People in high places often use grammar badly because we had a governor that would say irregardless. One of mine, and I just did it, actually. There's a few. One are linguistic kind of um, ticks. I don't even know if you'd call it a tick. But um, I'm thinking of a, I'm not going to name any names here, but a very well-known jockey who would always go like that. When he would talk. And then, of course, there's library. Library. <laughs> the library. In, in, in February, yeah. Library. Library, yeah. yeah. I had a professor, very well-respected professor, library, an mm. idea. Library and idea. 
you were talking about the questions kind of I used to have a writing instructor and I, she would ask me what the horse was doing and I'd answer her and she would say, are you asking me or are you telling me? Quite right. Because my answer was you could take it either way. Monica also says, OMG, my uncle always says idea and adds an R to the end. Over to the email we go and here's Maureen. One of her pet peeves is when we use nouns as verbs, such as this book was authored by. Of course, that can get you into fun times, can't it? When sometimes there are words that are both an adjective and a verb. And I tell the story. I told the story at the ACB convention a long time ago. But this truly did happen to me. In the old days of landline phones and fax machines and everything, I was running my own company to subsidize the work, really, that I was doing for ACB because they didn't pay very much. And so I used to do some training and consultancy and stuff in the background to pay the mortgage. And we were getting to the point where I needed another couple of phone lines put in for whatever reason. And I called our telecommunications provider which was called Telecom in those days. And we had a PBX in the house we lived in, which was really cool. It actually came with the house. So it was pretty easy to get a couple of lines added, but I just had to get them to do their magic. And so she was typing away on the keyboard and getting the order ready, and she was just making conversation. And while she was typing away, she said, what does your company do, sir? And I said, oh, we, we provide a range of technology services to blind people. And she stopped typing. You could tell her little brain was thinking about something. And then she said, why would people want technology services that blind them? <laughs> Steve Cutway has Cutway in from Canada on this topic. He says, hi, Jonathan, that voice pitch raise you just demonstrated is called up talking. Uh, 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 up talking. I used to work with a lady who hated it, but could do it so well to demonstrate it. One language pet peeve I have, says Steve, is people who use the past tense of verbs instead of the present tense. For example, he asked me out instead of he asked me out. That's weird. I've not heard that. It's more common than you may think, insists Steve. Here is uh, Linda Manrosh from Snowy, Wisconsin. So, she begins, I actually hate that so bit. I notice it a lot with TV contestants who are being interviewed. They must begin talking about themselves with so. It's strange, isn't it? And then off they go. It is just absolutely bizarre. Howdy, Johnson. This is Harwood West in North Carolina. Hi, Howard. I guess uh, as opposed to being Howard North from West Carolina. <clears throat> Sorry. Listening to your podcast this morning, um, I tried to find the settings to solve my hearing aid problem. I'm using the Oticon OS1s as well as you. I could not find part of the settings, and I called Apple Helpline. And they had now a permanent fix for this. They claim she had to look through a list and find the Oticon OS1s 
and she walked me through setting that. She will walk you through or tell you what to do to do the settings. And I had the hearing aids on as I was talking to her. And after I went through the settings, just all of a sudden, there they were. And, um, of course, part of the deal was to turn your hearing aids off and back on, but that was in the sequence of things you were to do. Thank you very much, Howard. I really appreciate you taking the time to share that. I'm pretty sure that the method I showed last week is a permanent fix as well. It hasn't happened to me since I implemented it, but this is another way around it. And based on your description, the key thing that did it for me was your describing how they asked you to turn your hearing aids off and back on again. What happens when you turn your aids off and back on again if they're not connected to an iphone then for a couple of minutes usually i think the pairing may vary a bit but usually for around a couple of minutes your hearing aids are in pairing mode and it sounds like that what they got you to do was to repair your hearing aids entirely and that certainly is a way around it so if you are willing to go into the accessibility settings and then you drill down to hearing and then hearing devices, and you can then disconnect your hearing aids if they're connected already, and then go through the pairing process again. Um, I guess my only caveat there would be either do what Howard did and call the Apple people to help, or make sure you really know how to pair your own aids. If an audiologist did it for you, don't get into a situation where you can't get your hearing aids talking to your iPhone again. That would be terrible. And I guess... Some people would be able to get by with help from Apple if they didn't have their hearing aids working. Some people might not, right? So do try, I think, the method that was outlined last week that Andy came in with. But if you can't find those settings or it's not working for whatever reason, then um, the next, that the nuclear, <laughs> the nuclear option would be to repair your hearing aids and that should solve it. Here's Kathy Blackburn from Austin. Welcome to you, Kathy. Another annoying speech habit involve words that begin with THR. I hear TV news reporters who turn the word three into two syllables. Three. Yes. That's not new, is it? I think I've heard that um, for a long time. Another strange thing, says Peggy, is instead of saying button or kitten, people say button and kitten, leaving out the letter T. Yes, I've heard this. Does my memory mislead me, says Kathy Blackburn. Prior to iOS 13, I thought I could set my rotor to headings and the setting would stay put. Now it goes back to spelling errors, no matter what I do. I don't know. The rotor's a mystery to me in terms of its little proclivities, Kathy. so maybe somebody can remember definitively what it used to do. But where the rotor ends up is very odd. I had a situation for a long time where the rotor would always default to language, and that was annoying because I had inadvertently swiped, inadvertently swiped down and I'd changed my language and it would be annoying. So I don't know about that, but uh, maybe somebody can give us a few uh, hints on what's happening with the rotor. At Large Podcast. And talking about linguistic pet peeves, one of the really interesting idiosyncrasies of a whole nation is the way Australians particularly people who are being interviewed by the media, 
but it's not just that. I've heard it when I've had conversations with some Australians. Start their sentences with the word look. They might be interviewing in the media a politician about the current unemployment statistics, and they'll say, so, Minister, do you think... They probably will say so. So, Minister, do you think that the unemployment statistics are going to decrease from these dire numbers? And they'll always begin in Australia with, look, the previous government. But they'll look in this very authoritative way. And it is absolutely amazing how many people in Australia in leadership-type positions start all their sentences with look in this really kind of aggressive way. Look. Hey, Jonathan, this is John Wesley Smith. John! Missouri. And I discovered today on Sunday, November 10th, that NVDA and the Brave browser are playing nice together again. I hope it stays that way, but I just thought I would let you know for whatever it's worth. Thank you very much, John. And it's also useful to know that the Brave browser, which John is a big fan of and we've been talking about because of his advocacy for this, is now out of beta. So version 1.0 of the Brave browser has been released And if you want to give it a shot, then you can go to the Brave Browser website and try it. There are versions for Windows and iOS and Android, and I presume for the Mac as well. Hello, Jim. Hello, Jim. Hey, Jonathan. This is Jim East or Sunny Jim. Sunny Jim. Florida. That was funny. I like that. There you go. Um, Wanted to tell you, first off, that uh, I'm calling in holding my phone instead of using the earbuds. They're great earbuds, but I know that sound quality of my last call wasn't really that great. So anyhow, uh, we've got some good news. The uh, folks at Sendero and Ira apparently uh, did get the update squared away for 13. So we're back uh, with our confident independent travel again. I still haven't heard anything directly back from Ira as far as, you know, their information, there's a lot more information on the Sendero website uh, and the mass email that I got from the folks that we all get that subscribe the mass email out about updates uh, but uh, or problems. But it would be nice because even when I spoke to the people at IRA, um, they did not know. The, guy, the, the two people I spoke to on the call-in service had no idea anything about Sendero Group which that's fine. That's not their job. Their job is to help us uh, with looking at things, and I understand that. But I was a little surprised that they weren't familiar that there was a button on the GPS app that you could pull up uh, and get assistance. So that was kind of interesting. So I I like Ira and what they're doing, but if they're going to partner with another app, I'd like to see a little bit more from them about, about that, especially with the great app like the senior GPS that has a great history and has done a lot uh, for us. So anyway, it's working again. I have not done the 13.2.2 yet. I was thinking about doing that. Um, hopefully there's not any problems. It's been out for a week. So if you hear anything about that, I'd appreciate it. Thank you, Jim. And it's more than a partnership, actually. Ira now owns Sendero GPS. So I agree they have an obligation to adequately support the products that they own. So hopefully you'll be able to get some satisfaction there. Clive Lever, or is it Lever, says there's no R in the middle of law and order. Do people say law and order? I suppose they do sometimes. And it's less rain 
but fewer floods. Oh my goodness, you've pushed a button. The number of people who confuse the words less and fewer, that also drives me bonkers. So sometimes I call a cab. And with one of the companies I call, it says, if you have four passengers or less, and every time they do it, I go, don't do that. And I have this terrible desire to tell the operator, can you just tell them to fix? But they probably don't understand what I'm talking about. Of course, it should be if you have four passengers or fewer. Anyway, and let's nuke nuclear, says Clive. Here's Steve Cutway back again, and he says it's not just in Australia where reporters start their answers with, look, look. A lot of politicians do it too in Australia, though, Steve. There's a reporter on CBC Radio by the name of Peter Armstrong who does it all the time. It drives me nuts, says Steve. Now here's Dawn Savino. Dawn Savino. See, there we can, we can, we can roll our eyes with Dorn, Dorn Savino. <laughs> My formal training is in linguistics. As social scientists, linguistics, unlike grammarians, attempt to describe speech as opposed to prescribing the way people should speak. For example, I am more interested in knowing how and why English speakers started using so as a sentence opener. Is it more prevalent in certain countries than others? When did this usage first enter the language? These are the types of questions that preoccupy linguists. That being said, I must confess that there are certain constructions that irritate my writer's ear nevertheless. One such phrase that always makes me wince is between you and I. Oh my God, I forgot about this. Sorry. Here, the pronouns should be in the objective case between you and me. Using I when it should be me is called hypercorrection. It is a well-documented sociolinguistic phenomenon. Phenomenon. Another one that bothers me personally, says Dawn, though I doubt most others even notice it, is the data... Oh, God. It bothers me, Dawn. Is the data is conclusive. No, they are not. The word data is plural. But I think it is inappropriate and rude, rude, to correct people's grammar. So I just let it go when a word or phrase offends my prescriptive upbringing. Generally speaking, we should beware of trying to pigeonhole language. Language is a living thing, oh my God, that changes with time and space. Also, please be careful about criticizing regional accents. It can be unkind and potentially dangerous. I know this is not the intention, but much political mischief has been done in the name of linguistic purity. There you go. Thank you, Dawn. The me versus I thing is a really interesting one. We used to get this a lot on Mushroom FM before we automated the tweet system. So people would send a message out saying, 
join Bonnie and I for another edition of or whatever. And that used to drive me crackers. It's really easy, this one, to work out when to use me and when to use I. It, it's like it's become hypercorrection is, is a great term because it, it's like it's become wrong to use the word me. People think that you should never use it. And the way to think about this, to know when to use I and when to use me, is really simple. What would happen if you took the other person out of the equation? So in the case of join Bonnie and me for the show, if you took Bonnie out, it wouldn't be as fun a show, but it would still be join me for the show, not join I for the show. So that one is actually quite easy. Another interesting one in the same vein is when people talk about myself when they mean I or me. Join myself, or it's another edition of the Mosin Explosion with myself. It's, people don't, for whatever reason, think it's okay to use the word me. Mosin at Large Podcast! Hello there, Mr. Mosin, it's J-Dog here. Hello, J-Dog here. Uh, with a couple of pieces of information for you. First, I have Disney+. Plus. Um, I enjoy it. It's cool. Had an issue with it, of course, on launch day. Um, tried to sign up for it, and uh, <laughs> initially I did, but didn't complete a subscription, subscription, but then my account was locked for some reason. So then I was inundated like six hours later with like loads of identification codes. Got it sorted out and fixed, and it's awesome. I saw a review of Disney+, Plus and it said landscape mode, charging port to the right. Is that some kind of add-on or, or like hint or something that I don't know about? Because I have never heard my phone say anything about charging ports to the right ever since the iPhone 10. Um, or is that on the newer devices like the Pros and the Maxes and the Max S's and all that stuff? Because um, I'd never heard of that. It's very interesting. And two, somebody spoke a couple weeks ago about using or... Uh, you know, getting the Siri Shazams, and uh, you said that they've lost them. Mr. M, I believe you're lost because you can, in fact, get those. Um, <laughs> you go into the iTunes Store app, which is actually page 3 on your iOS 13-enabled devices, and you click on the Items List button, which is in the upper right-hand corner, right next to the Genres button, if I'm not mistaken. And among other things, there's a wish list, and there is actually a thing that you can, it's called Siri, it's called a Siri button, which enables you to preview and purchase any tracks that you have shazammed through the Siri function. Yeah, shazam is uh, quicker and easier and faster and all those other words that mean better. <laughs> but... Series there for those times when you just don't want to load up the Shazam app. Uh, and three, you you asked me a couple weeks ago why I would call Vodafone NZ, and uh, honestly, that's what the wife would ask when uh, when and or if the call resulted in a charge, which it didn't, fortunately. And I did that actually because I like to talk to people with accents, you know. And we've all got some sort of an accent, even those who deny it. <laughs> they have the most kind of accent because they deny having an accent. Figure that one out. 
Right. Well, let's have a look at all of that. Disney Plus. We're getting Disney Plus in New Zealand next week. And there was a huge amount of interest in Disney Plus to the extent that, uh, as you mentioned, J-Dog, things kind of exploded for them for a while. But I believe it's all under control now. So have you tried Disney Plus? And what do you think of it? Should I get it? Should we add it to the list of streaming music services, of of streaming TV and movie services we have access to? We've got Amazon Prime, we've got Netflix, Apple TV Plus, and now Disney Plus is on the horizon. There are other things we have in New Zealand that I don't subscribe to because they don't have any audio-described content. So why would I bother? If you've tried Disney Plus, I'd be really interested in what you think of it. How's it from an accessibility point of view? I have seen a couple of little rumblings about the accessibility of it, but I don't know whether that's just people getting used to the app or whether there are genuine accessibility concerns with Disney Plus. So if you've got any thoughts on that, by all means, let me know. Glad you're enjoying it. j Dog. The landscape charge port to the right. I've always had that. It used to be home button to the right. And then when it, it took them a while to catch up with the fact that after the iPhone 10, not all phones had home buttons. But at some point it changed to charge port to the right because we've all got charge ports. And it just tells you which way to hold the phone to get the correct view. It's possible that it's not being said when hints are turned off. That's the only thing I can think of. But I've always heard that message. Not sure why you haven't, but maybe others will be able to comment regarding the Siri thing and identifying past tracks recognized with the Shazam feature of Siri mate I was lost but now I'm found was blind still am can't see because not long after I made that bold comment Peggy Kern corrected me but you obviously didn't stick around long enough to hear the correction which we did include so, yes, we all learn together on this show. And that was a I don't use the Siri feature very much. I prefer Shazam for all the reasons you outlined. But Peggy was able to tell us where to find all the tracks that we have used Siri to recognize. And as for accent, this is another little peeve of mine. It is impossible to speak a language without an accent. I mean, we all, every single human being who speaks, have an accent. The difference is that. When you are immersed in that accent, you don't consider it to be one because it's just your what you're used to, your norm. But it's still an accent. We all, without exception, speak with an accent. We have to, or we wouldn't be speaking. Record. Record. Hey, Pause Jonathan. Button. Record button. Yeah, this will be an interesting show, of course. Uh, mm. one, one of the main ones now for me is nuclear. People will say nuclear, and it's nuclear. It's spelt like nuclear, not nuclear. I just even as a, as a teen, I remember thinking, how are people getting to nuclear from nuclear? <laughs> it just bothered me. If I'm going be, to be obliterated by one of these nuclear weapons, I, you know, I hope the historical records record it as such and not nuclear. <laughs> But a couple of of interesting books. Well, on uh, Audible, of course, uh, one fellow to look out for about all things linguistic, and he's done a number of things related to English as well as uh, other sort of more broad historical looks at language and change. Um, 
is uh, John McWhorter is his name. Uh, he's done Our Magnificent Bastard Tongue. Uh, he's also done Words on the Move. And that one is about how language and why language changes, why things are shifting in English, and why things like like are more exemplary of the li- the living nature of English than its atrophy. So oh, well how left-wing is this? Another lady wow. to look up and I've she probably has books that I haven't found yet uh, but she does a bunch of the great courses uh, to do with language is Anne Curzan and uh, she has one called The Secret Life of Words that is well worth a listen that was fascinating so uh, there's there's a couple of, of really good listens for anyone interested in linguistic stuff like this and why expressions come and go and where they come from and all of this. Uh, Anne Curzan and John McCorder both have at least three or four entries on Audible that, that just make really compelling listening. You make a very interesting point about phrases that come and go. Expressions like groovy, for example. Oh, there it goes now. I mean, back in the 60s, around that time, lots of things were groovy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then nobody talks about anything being groovy now unless you're on the Mosin explosion. Neat. You still hear that sometimes, but not very often at all. But things being really neat. That was pretty common for a while. Things being keen. Hey, this is really keen. And you go back to Arthur Conan Doyle and the Holmes and Watson stories. And of course, one of their exclamations was capital. It's a capital, capital idea. And that was a very common thing from Victorian England. And now nobody talks about a capital idea. There are some phrases that are quite curious in the sense that they can be potentially confusing. I notice this with kids. People will say, I'm down with that. And when I first heard this some years ago now, I have to say, from one of my kids who was a teenager who said, I'm down with that. And I said, so you don't like it then? And he said, no, I like it. I'm down with it. And that's very confusing because in many revolutions around the world, people will say, down with the imperialist pig, or whatever you know, down with the monarchy. So suddenly being down with it means that you're okay with it, that you're happy about it. Another one like this that I hear some young people talking about is something being sick. Yeah, that's sick, dude. And it means it's good. Very confusing when a word is used to mean the absolute antithesis of what you thought it meant. You mentioning nuclear versus nuclear, which is obviously a very common one. And I've, I've actually met people who genuinely have problems pronouncing nuclear. And I've said to them, take the two words apart. Say new, and they go new, unless they're American, and then they'll go new. Now say clear. Okay, clear. Or if you're American, clear. Now put the two words together slowly. New, clear. New, clear. Okay, new, clear. New, clear. Oh, yeah, I get it now. Yeah, see, you could you could help a friend out today. In the end, though... If the bomb drops, it doesn't matter, as uh, John Burko would say, it doesn't matter a flying flamingo, what you call it, because you'll be just as dead. Jonathan Mosin, Mosin at Large Podcast.
Les Kriegler. Welcome to you, Les. Good to have you tuned in. And he says he's had a problem since iOS 13 came along where after the iPhone stopped speaking, it would take a while for environmental sounds from your hearing aids to pick up to normal volume because when the iPhone makes any kind of sound, the environmental sounds duck slightly so you can hear the iPhone. And he says it's taken since iOS 13 up to about two minutes at times for sounds to go back to normal. I've heard of this, Les, and it must be incredibly frustrating. My particular aids, the Oticon Open S1, are not exhibiting this, and I'm very grateful for it, but that doesn't make it any easier for those who are experiencing this. He says he seems to think he's found a fix to this, which is to go into voiceover settings and toggle audio ducking on and off. That's an interesting thing, so give it a shot, and it may help. Thanks for the tip, Les, and thank you for listening. Linda is asking, are any listeners using the Orbits with the iPhone? I pair the Orbit with my iPhone to text and also to occasionally read material from the iPhone. I am wondering if the Orbit will still work successfully with iOS 13. Any listener input would be appreciated. Okay, here's something probably specific to Brooklyn, New York. Some folks will say turlet instead of toilet or earl instead of oil. Yeah, I mean, there are some kind of cool variations like that that are based on on region. See, in, in the US, for example, in the South, fixing something is quite different from fixing something elsewhere. In New Zealand, if you're fixing something, you would be repairing it. But in particularly the US and the South, if you're fixing something, it would be you're making it, like I'm fixing dinner. Bonnie and I often have discussions like this. You know, I'm, she says, I'm going to fix dinner. And I said, "Did it? when did it break? And let's see. My father said turlet. Oh, my goodness. It's Bonnie modem back again. Hang on, I have to turn on her microphone. What, what, what? My father said turlet. Interesting, but that's more of a pronunciation thing, isn't it? Or... Yeah, I think so. Americans don't like to say toilet at all, though, do they? They have to say bathroom and... Restroom. Restroom and what What else do they do? Bathroom, restroom... Powder room. Powder room. I'm sure there's one really big one that I'm missing. Ladies room. Uh, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Why? What's wrong with it? It's like you're not allowed to say toilet. Latrine. I mean, do people Definitely. frown up in America? Do people Lavatory. frown upon you if you say toilet? No. Do they think you're being uncalf? Sometimes people say potty. Right. I gotta go to the potty. Mm. The Icon Factory are popular in the blind community because they have spent plenty of time and given plenty of thought to making Twitterific accessible. And now they've come out with a new app, and it's called Triode. It's a radio app. I'm curious about the use case for this and why they think they should invest some time in it, because now you can ask Siri to play a wide range of radio stations, and it just goes ahead and does it, thanks to the tune-in integration in iOS 13. But they're trying to make a pitch for this app with a few quite specific benefits. One is that you can add stations to your favorites and those favorites will sync using iCloud across all your devices. That means that if you have a Mac, yes, there's a Mac version of this as well, and iPads and 
iPhones and the Apple TV. This is the newer version of the Apple TV that will take apps. All of your favorites will sync across those devices, and that's pretty cool. You can log in to tune in, of course, but it's, it's interesting that not many third-party apps, you know, beyond TuneIn's own apps, support logging in to TuneIn. Sonos is a case in point. Sonos has the TuneIn directory, though it seems to be quite an old version of the TuneIn directory. But you can't log in with TuneIn on Sonos and get all your favorites in one place. It would be great if this triode app eventually appears on Sonos as well. At a quick glance, it looks like they are using the OOTunes or Utunes. I'm not sure which is which directory. This is from the Utunes app, and it's also the one that the Victor Reader stream uses. That app itself hasn't been updated for a long time, but it seems like the developer is still updating the directory and making some money by licensing that directory. That directory is a little bit of a hodgepodge to me, but anyway, um, Mushroom FM's in there. Mushroom Escape appears not to be, so we'll have to have a look at that. And it's pretty accessible. They are charging a subscription. I think you can pay by the month, by the year, or a lifetime subscription. And it's not that fully featured yet, but I like the Icon Factory, so I've subscribed just to say keep on keeping on and we'll see what we get with it i would like to see a widget with a good number of presets in the widget say your 10 most recently played radio stations the other thing you can also do is add a series shortcut to stations that you listen to so it's one to watch if you've tried it is it one you want to keep around? You can try a basic version of it for free. You can then pay a subscription and you get a month free. So you can use the full version. And if you don't like it, you can cancel before your subscription kicks in and charges you. It is Triode, T-R-I-O-D-E. And it's from the Icon Factory, the people who bring you Twitterific, available now in the App Store. Sarah Hillis says, the toilet in Canada, or in my part anyway, is the actual thing you sit on. The bathroom, powder room, restroom, or wash room, that's the one I was trying to think of, is the room you are in when using the toilet. Yes, but I have this to ask about this. I mean, dude. Dude. Yeah, thanks, Boris. How are you getting on over there? Dude. Yeah. There is no bath most of the time in those rooms. Certainly not in the public ones. When, you, when you're when you at an airport and you ask to be taken to the bathroom, where's the sense in this? It's completely not the bathroom. There is no bath to be had. The washroom? I mean, you wash your hands after doing the business. But usually in a public facility, there's no place to fully wash, is there? There's no, there is no shower or anything like that. What's wrong with calling it the toilet? I, I merely ask because we don't have any difficulty at all with just calling it the toilet in this country. And you go to the States as some new traveler who's not used to all the linguistic variations. And you say, I want to go to the toilet. And everybody goes, <gasps> like you've just sort of committed some great faux pas. 
Several people have confirmed that Mushroom Escape is on Utunes, and that makes perfect sense to me because I know that Bruce is a big Utunes fan, and of course Bruce is looking after Mushroom Escape, so it seemed a bit incongruous to me. So that suggests that maybe it's not this new Triode app. Maybe it's not using the Utunes directory. It could be using the MyTuner radio directory, which we've had notorious difficulty getting things into, so that could be what it's using instead. Michael Fair says, I had a brief look at Triode, but can't justify paying for what is currently offered. Apple and Siri just make it so easy to ask to hear what you want now. I think that's a fair call right now, and that's probably what uh, uh, many people will conclude. Mosin at Large Podcast! It's time once again for another Bonnie Bulletin. Welcome, Bonnie Mosin! Hello, and here comes Eclipse. Yes, she always likes coming down here when we're both and down she here. Has nothing. Ooh, that's uh, unusual. Uh, there you go. What you got, Eclipse? Nothing! Oh, but she's trying to get to the mic. Mm-hmm. So she's got some things to say. Things to say. What's been happening in your world? Um, just working. <laughs> Basically just working. I got a piece of information via email from Amanda. And she says that on the 10th, and I think you've told me about this, on the 10th of December, there is an audio described performance of Alice in Wonderland. Yes. The pantomime taking place at the Circa Theatre. Uh-huh. I'd be really interested in listeners' information about this. As somebody with a hearing impairment. What? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who can't hear very well. Pardon? Yeah, uh, uh, that's uh, annoying when people do that. Eh? That's annoying when people do that. S- sorry? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Works every time, though. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway... Uh, as someone with a hearing impairment, one of the things I find difficult about the way they do audio description here uh-huh. is that you put your little headset on, or in my case, I can plug my little hearing aid cable into the audio description receiver thing and get the audio description, which is wonderful. So I'm not sort of trying to, I'm not, I'm not downplaying the efforts that people are making to make uh, entertainment more accessible. But for me, one of the problems I have is that the actual audio of the actors is not coming through that receiver mm. only the description so if you're having trouble hearing the performance anyway you know because you're in an echoey theater and you might be some distance away then it doesn't really help because you get the description clearly but you don't actually get the dialogue the other thing that sometimes can happen is that some theaters are accessible in the sense that they have a hearing loop but you can't hear the hearing loop and the audio description at the same time, at least not with the technology that I have. That's a limitation. You should talk to the audio description people because... I should. But yeah. I'm wondering what happens in, you know, I mean, I realize the scale's different, but yeah. I'm wondering what happens in those big Broadway theaters in New York and that sort of stuff, you know, whether you get to hear the performance through the headset as well as the audio description. I think, I can't remember. The one I went to was The Lion King. I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah, the Lion King. That was good. Yeah, oh, that did you like that? I did, and I they didn't have a touch tour, but they did do a good describing beforehand of the the costumes and the set design, and I enjoyed that. I don't need. I mean, I know what a couch looks like, so right, right. Um, the ballet one was good because ballet is so visual that I think for people who had never experienced it. 
never seen ballet, it was good for them to see the figures and the different um, ballet positions they took. Yeah. And I think that was that was really helpful. I did enjoy the Nutcracker mm-hmm. because because that the, the the problem I just described didn't apply there because obviously it was just classi- music, classical yeah. music playing through, uh-huh. and then the audio description was fine on top of that. So that was lovely. The, the, the Nutcracker it just transports you, doesn't yeah. it? It's got such good moo moo. Yeah. Anything else to report? Really? Um, just working. That's about it. Just working. Uh, Tremendous. We have got our Breville yeah, omelet maker. maker. The yeah. Breville Light and Fluffy Omelet Maker. Would you like to tell us? Would you like to give us a review of the Breville it's Light and Fluffy? It's pretty nice. You yeah. plug it in and then you hit start and it heats up and then you put all the stuff in and cook about nine minutes and it's done. Yeah. So it does have some other controls on it, but I don't really know what they do. Oh, <laughs> So, I mean, it's like an up and down, so I don't know what that does. I think that might be for the timer. Yeah. So, I think. Yeah, yeah, just time it with the Alexa. So it's like a hinged device. Mm-hmm. And you... You spray. So you, you break a couple of eggs mm-hmm. and you put them in there and then you just add your ingredients, don't yep. you? Like your, your mm-hmm. onion and bacon, mushroom. Yep. And it made a very nice omelette. It was nice and fluffy. Yeah, yeah. So it's pretty good. I've replaced my bulletproof coffee with an omelette in the morning just to see how that goes. Cool. Yeah. I used to have an omelette a long time ago. It used, you know, an omelette at breakfast omelet used maker. to be my regular thing. What was that? With a scary omelette maker. Yeah. Well, it was hard to clean. Is this one easy to clean, do you I think? think? so, yeah. Oh, that's good. Because the Sunbeam one that we had, they were difficult to clean. Yeah. I think we got through two Sunbeam omelette yeah. makers. You spray. I've been spraying olive oil in it. Mm-hmm. And then you do your thing. Mosin at Large Podcast. Christopher Duffley. Hello, Christopher Duffley. He says, you don't hear the dialogue. Using the AD headset. He says he's been to Broadway once, and I'm sure it's somewhat disappointing for hearing aid users. Well, it's good to know that New Zealand isn't behind in this regard. It would be great if we could lead the way. And Sarah Hillis says, when you say touch to her, do you mean touching the actor's costumes with the actor still in it? No, you don't do that. You you kind of touch the costumes and props and things of that nature. DJ Z-Man says our local movie theatre has audio description, but the problem I had was the volume on the device couldn't be turned loud enough. The sound from the movie was so loud, I couldn't hear the description on the headset. If you were listening to last week's show, you, you may be aware that May mentioned the trouble she was having getting city, city to play BBC Radio 4 because Siri is using the tune-in directory and BBC Sounds is the only place uh, in... Well, certainly TuneIn has has had their streams removed. I wonder whether smaller apps like Utunes have fallen through there because they're just not so prevalent in terms of all the traffic they generate. But certainly in the UK, a lot of the BBC national streams have been removed, have been geo-blocked. From TuneIn. And May says that, in fact, she has found that BBC Sounds does support Siri shortcuts. So that's really good. If you have the BBC Sounds app and you would like to have Siri play Radio 4 or any other station for you, you can 
get BBC Sounds to do it by playing the station and then going into the Siri section and looking for the shortcut that has been generated. So it's it's very good that the BBC has at least done that. Here's Petra. Welcome to you, Petra. It's somewhat late to the party, but she says, hello, Jonathan. Hello, Petra. How's those AirPod Pros of yours going, Petra? I am probably too late and I may have missed my most disliked words already being mentioned, but when people end a sentence with at, where are you at? Question mark. Where already asks at. I must admit, I like the phrase. I agree with you about the grammatical dodginess of it, Petra, but it's kind of cool. <laughs> and impact instead of effect. This is a real buzzword thing, isn't it? How did that impact you instead of how did that affect you? Here is Carolyn Pete emailing all the way from Auckland. She says, hi, Jonathan, Martin and Gary went to see the Lion King. When they were in New York, they got a device that had a pre-recorded audio description track. This surprised Martin because stage productions are not like movies and things can change quickly. So live audio description is better. See, I think in a really regimented situation like a Broadway production where there's music, it's unlikely to vary, really. If you're dealing with a local amateur production, I get that people might mix it up a bit, but I think with something so in sync and so much technology involved as Broadway, I think I'd rather have an audio description that's canned than not at all. And generally, I believe they do have somebody just pacing it to make sure it's in sync. Podcast. Hey, Jonathan, it's Bryce here. Hey, Bryce here. I have not sent anything in for a while, but I've really been enjoying the show. Oh. You've been asking about Disney Plus, and I actually subscribed to it on launch day. And it's it's been generally positive. You know, my thoughts on it have been generally positive, rather. They have a very good selection of stuff from the 80s and 90s back when you actually had to pay for the Disney Channel on cable. And they also have a lot of the syndicated after-school cartoons that some of your listeners may remember, like Goof Troop and Tailspin and DuckTales and stuff like that. They also have a lot of movies... You know, that they might have done in like the wonderful world of Disney or stuff that was straight to TV. So I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of movies I have not seen in years. The only complaint I have at the moment is some of the movies, at least over here, and it may be different for you when the service launches. The streaming rights are currently held by other companies like HBO, uh, some I believe might be held by Netflix at the moment, and some other streaming entities. So the movies are listed up there, but when you go to play them, it says coming to Disney+, Plus, and some of them aren't going to be there till 2021. So that's been my only complaint so far, but I will say this, there is a lot of interesting stuff there, though if you're somebody who likes documentaries, they have a lot of National Geographic documentaries as well as some Disney ones. And I would like to watch some of those. They have quite a bit of, you know, their Disney, I guess, did this nature series, which I didn't even know about. And they have a whole bunch of those. And for the people that 
are into it. There's a ton of Star Wars stuff, a ton of Marvel stuff. I mean, they're they're I'm I'm surprised at how much content they actually did have up there, but you got to figure Disney's been around for I don't know how many years, what probably maybe 80 years. Might even be earlier than that. It might be close to 90 years. So there's a plethora of great content there. It would be remiss of me not to mention the new MacBook Pro that was announced by Apple earlier in the week. They've gone up to a 16-inch MacBook Pro. It's a little bit heavy. It's heavier than its predecessor anyway. And I'm sure that everybody will be rejoicing that the terrible keyboard that Macs have had recently is gone. I know there are some people who specifically went back to Windows when it came to replacing their computer because of the keyboard. And there's been no end of trouble with the butterfly keyboards and people, some people like the feel of them, but a lot of people did not. Now they've gone back to what is effectively the same feel of the keyboards in the old 2015 MacBook Pros before the butterfly keyboard came along. And actually, my last Mac was that 2015 MacBook Pro all maxed out. If you max the new MacBook Pro out, you could have eight terabytes of solid state storage. And I think it's 64 gigs of RAM. Everybody who's heard the speakers on the MacBook Pro, the new 2016 ones, say they are absolutely amazing. And I can believe it. Apple make great hardware, great laptop hardware. And the MacBook Pro that I bought for David, who's doing a lot of video animation and stuff for his university. This is my son, David. The speakers on that thing are just amazing. They fill a room with very, very good sound. And people are saying that the speakers on the new MacBook Pro are a substantial improvement over that. So that just sounds amazing. Apparently they've got some really good subwoofers in there now. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? And they've also spent some time on the audio on the other side, on the input side, with very good quality noise-canceling mics. And so often when you do video conferencing or anything like that people will often say to you you sound like you're using your mac your your laptop microphone when you aren't using a headset and that's a criticism with the mac it sounds like nobody's going to criticize you for using your laptop microphone so it sounds like a beautiful piece of kit eh? a beautiful piece of kit and you know it's just a question of accessibility for me microsoft office has come quite a long way in terms of accessibility on the Mac. So that's something that I use on a regular basis. See, that's another pet peeve of mine. I should say another one I use regularly. Much less redundant. But I just don't know if I could bring myself to going back to the Mac um, for anything, really. Um, Safari, busy, 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 busy. (laughs) And all that kind of stuff. So, um, But it does sound like lovely hardware. It really does. And there's no doubt they make tremendous stuff. Last week, we had a bit of a chat, another one, about my preferred task manager app of choice, Todoist. It keeps me, at least remotely trying, to keep track of all the activities And I've talked about this on several editions of the show now. And we had Jesper write in last week and he said, it looks perfect, except I can't find a way to dismiss the add task screen when I've added a task under this new Todoist Foundations app that's just come out. 
and I couldn't either. And all I can say specifically to myself here is... Don't be a bozo. Because sometimes you overlook the bleeding obvious. So I wrote to the Todoist people and I said, I can't figure this out and neither can a listener of mine. And they wrote back and they said, we've implemented the two-finger scrub gesture. And I'm thinking, that is just so bleeding obvious. Why didn't I try that? So that's the answer, Jesper. And anyone else who wants to try Todoist, spelled T-O-D-O-I-S-T. It's a really good app. And as I've said in the past, one of the really nice things about it is when you learn the syntax, you can write a natural language query into the edit field that basically assigns a task to an individual or a specific project or you give it a label. So all the people who report to me have labels. And I i mean, they're very nice labels. <laughs> they're actually just the names of the individuals who report to me. And I uh, assign labels to tasks. Sometimes they can be multiple labels, of course. And then when I'm meeting with them, I have all the tasks that I need to talk to them about in one place. And you can do this with apps like OmniFocus as well. But the thing about Todoist is you can do it with natural language from the edit box. So it's just super quick. And it means I can do it in meetings without really giving it much thought. Just quickly, you know, I have my focus there with my phone and I braille it in and it's done. So that's the trick to get out. Just use your two finger scrub. Obvious, eh? Obvious. And that's episode 12 in the can of the Mosin at Large podcast. See you back next week for the lucky 13 to be in touch with the podcast. Jonathan at mushroomfm.com with an audio attachment or just a written email. And the listener line is 864 60 Mosin. Mosin at Large.